Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Bar Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that thinks the only correct way to eat a mince pie is heated from the oven with cream or possibly brandy butter. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and today I am delighted to be joined by a British actor, writer, director, and look, probably key grip as well for all his multi-talents. Yes, I'm talking about Amal Amin, who has had a stellar acting career in the likes of Kid Althood, Yardies and The Bill and now makes his directing debut with Boxing Day. The film takes place over the Christmas period and sees Amin play Melvin, a Brit who reluctantly comes home to London from LA to do promotion for his new science fiction novel. He brings his girlfriend Lisa, played by Asia Naomi King, but what she doesn't know is that his ex, Georgia, who's played by Little Mix's Leanne Pinnock, is now a huge pop star who still isn't entirely over Melvin. Add to this his family, led by Marianne Jean-Baptiste as his mum Shirley, and you have a whole lot of scope for drama, romance, comedy, and the most delicious looking food on screen this year. So I spoke to Amal Amin just hours before the film's premiere last week, and here's what he had to say about family, food fights, and the joys of Christmas movies. Please enjoy. Hi Amal, how are you doing? I'm good, I was just DJing for you. Little entrance good, music. Yeah. Yes, Barry White. It's Barry White. I beat it with a big stick. <laughs> How are you feeling? Happy Christmas. You're, you're sitting in a very Christmassy room, a tree behind you and presents and I all know. sorts. I need whoever's done this to decorate my house. You know what I mean? It's very, very, very cute. <laughs> very cute indeed. I'm very well. This is the uh, premiere day. It's Yay. very surreal. It's only just got surreal. People have been asking me, like, is it surreal? I'm like, no, but it just got surreal about 25 minutes ago. I was like, Two years of work and, and then a, yeah. and a decade of desired planning. Yeah, absolutely. You know I mean, I've, I've got to ask about the the you know, the origins of this film because it, it started with the dance that your brother did. Is that right? Yeah, effectively, yeah. We, we have a big Christmas. We have a Boxing Day party, actually. And that's because my family had got different religions. So some are Christian and not. And so everyone comes over on Boxing Day and we have this huge party. And there was a, yeah, my brother and my cousins were in the living room and they were dancing to a dance hall song called In Her Heart. But it's called In Her Heart if you're Jamaican. In Her Heart. And it goes, In Her Heart, In Her Heart. And they were doing this big thing where it's like, you know, you're 
rescuing someone. What do you call that thing? When you go, Tush. a Heimlich maneuver kind of thing? No, when you put the, the thing on the oh, chest. Oh, the, yeah. The, what's, the, the what's chest compressions. Yeah. Shock. That's it. Shock. Right. And uh, yeah, I was like, whoa, this is looking very dramatic and very fun. This could be a movie. And I thought about that. And then I left it for a while and I was like, it's time to do my directorial debut. I think it's time to do something that's close to me and something yeah. I really care about. You know? Absolutely. Because you'd, you'd come very, very close before with, with A Night Worth a Living, hadn't you? Oh, and, wow. See, the fact that you said that, I love you. So we can both shit talk the, uh, old, the other producers. Um, yeah, I came <laughs> really close. I was one week out from oh. shooting. And uh, this was just after doing the press for Yardi. And then it went. And it, it was one of the most painful things I've been through, actually. I was really disappointed. And I was just like, yeah, I was like, what the, what the hell? What, what can I do? And so that prompted me to go, let me write this film, Boxing Day, about my family. And also something that was... Uh, that I was going to self-finance. Right. You know, I put the money up to, to self-finance. It was a smaller version, but I was just going to self-finance and do it and and see what happened. But uh, luckily, I got uh, other people to pay for it. And and then that gives you, you know, so many more toys to play with. I mean, you've got those fantastic locations. I think most of it was at the Haymarket Hotel was quite a lot of it. And then... Yeah, at the Haymarket Hotel, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got Los Angeles. We actually did shoot in Los I mean, Angeles. Amazing. Uh, we have... Going over Tower, we have Tower Bridge at the end of the movie. You have the South Bank, you have Carnaby Street. These really iconic spots in the UK, you know that 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 we have. Yeah, yeah, it's proper. So tell me about the decision to to set it at Christmas because this is a Christmas movies podcast. So I have to ask, you know, yeah. what is it that makes this holiday in particular the right moment for this story? I think because one, from an audience perspective. Christmas films are rewatchable and I love watching them every every year. And they're the, also the films that, you know, you hold dear to your heart for that time of year and you continue to um you continue to partake with it and grow with that film. There's not many films these days that you grow with over time. So if you watch Love Actually and you watched it five years ago, you might notice something different as you've gotten older or had different life experiences. And I, I've always loved that about about Christmas movies. And then, you know, London, the UK has the most magical Christmas I've ever seen. You know, I've spent my time in America and New York Christmases are cool and they're big, but they, they do lack the, um, the charm that a British one has. It's so elegant. It's so us. It's so regal. It's so beautiful. I love, I love a British Christmas um, and all facets of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, whichever, you know, if, if you're like a Cockney working class person or, or a Cockney, you know, upper class person or, or posh or black caribbean or, you know i just love how we all do our different version of it um mm. you know that was the reason to set it around that time and to set it in london because it's such a it's just such a genuinely multicultural place like yeah. really is man we should we have to be proud of that as much as there's work to do at any given time this we've got a lot to be proud of in terms of how we all are a, a melting pot one that's mm. come a long way in the last 30 years for sure I love that one of the visual representations of that in the film is just the massive spread of food mm. at the family party. Um, please reassure me that somebody ate that at the end of the shooting day because it just looked so good. I don't want to <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I will say that, you know, the um, we didn't, I personally did indulge in some Guinness punch on set. Shh, don't tell anyone. I didn't, I didn't hear it. Nobody will ever know. <laughs> 
And and there is uh, there's also a scene, and I don't know if this is a spoiler, but there is a scene with a food fight. Mm-hmm. I was really interested, like how many takes do you get on that? Because I know, you know, I talked to a lot of British filmmakers and they're they're always worried about the budget and they're worried about time and everything else. And so, and you can't really easily reset on a on a fight like that. You've just got to kind of get it, I guess. Was that was that just everybody going for it? You're re- you got some great questions, seriously, because that <laughs> specifically, that day was almost a nightmare. I got that day. I got that scene in about three takes and with like 40 minutes on the clock. And it was the, it was the biggest moment where I, my producers were most impressed with, with um, how comprehensive I can shoot. Um, but I got really focused because it was like, we couldn't hit the walls, which was crazy to me. Like, what are we doing a food fight if we can't hit the walls? Um, so I had to like section it off. So it's like, Boozy comes in, ah, I'm like, okay, quick, cut. We got that one more time. Ah, and just fake it. Ah, great, cool. Oh, onto Robbie G. Robbie, all right, just put it in his face. Just put it in his face. Go, 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 go. Cool. All right, cool. You got that bit? All right, everybody, this is the one take we have. Go crazy. And everyone went crazy and food. Every- I mean, they loved it. I personally, as an actor, would not have loved doing that scene, <laughs> but they loved it. And they brought together, uh, you know, my vision for like, um, your hook. That's one of I, I yeah. kind of stole that from Hook, which I love the film Hook. The yeah. color of the icing. Is exactly. The same. That's what, yeah, hook. I kind of yeah. was like that. That's what reminded me of that, and that's also a Christmas film. So you know, I, I consider it a Christmas film. No, it is, yeah. isn't it? it yeah, is. they come home for Christmas. Yeah. Do you know what? Thank you. That's going on the Christmas list when people ask me what's your Christmas films because it's like one of my favorite films. I don't ever mention it. Yeah, hook. and and you, but you have mentioned a few. I mean, I, I wanted to. That is one of my questions. You know, like the hook. first of all, like well, Go hook. <laughs> <laughs> but first of all, you know, the Christmas films that are on on repeat in your house, but also the ones that influence this in particular. Yeah. So, Love Actually is one I always I always revisit because I, I really enjoy it. Um, Home Alone is another one. Um, Back to the Future isn't a Christmas movie, but it's a you know the certain films that give you that Christmas feeling. Yeah. It's just that scope of cinema. I love that. What else? Have you been to the stage show yet for Back to the Future? No. It's good. Oh, yeah, I'd love to cool. do that. That's, there you that's go. on the list. Um, what else do I like for Christmas? Um, there's Jingle All the Way, Muppets Christmas Carol. That's a good one, Muppets Christmas Carol. That's a great one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really strangely eerie and emotional. And yeah. yeah. But you have, uh, you know. Uh, uh, it's a Wonderful Life. That's my mum's. She always watches that, you know? The classic. Yeah. Can't be beaten with a big stick. Hi everybody, my name's Helen. And I'm Kobe. And we're from Flix Watcher, a podcast in the strip media family. We are a movie podcast and we review films that are just on Netflix in the UK. So if you've ever struggled to find a film on Netflix to watch, we're the podcast for you. We have guests on from other podcasts, big and small, just like these guys that you listen to now. They choose the films and we rate them and discuss them with our unique scoring system. You can find Flix Watcher on any podcast app by searching Flix Watcher. That's F-L-I-X Watcher. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, 
so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Christmas Carol is interesting, though, because you've got Michael Caine playing it dead straight mm-hmm. amid all of this craziness going on around mm-hmm. him. And to some extent, that's that's kind of the case here. You know, you have Melvin, who's having genuine emotional <laughs> dilemmas here in the middle of this while, you know, everything's going crazy around him. So um, and he's kind of feeling a bit out of control, I think. Yeah, yeah, so- it's definitely. I wanted to ground the film with, you know, the thing I love about a lot of um, rom-coms and holiday rom-coms is it is grounded in something that feels quite... Uh, sincere but then i wanted to mix and blend what i love about the rom-com genre which is that you can laugh and and you're constantly you know titillating the audience you know Mm -hmm. it feels like we haven't had very many rom-coms in the past few years like the genre has sort of died away at least on the big screen right yeah well this is warner's first british rom-com or one of the first in a long time um so that was that's really amazing yeah i don't know why it died Perhaps because it was done like in excess and not without sincerity. You know, it was, it was to, it was because it was so successful in the noughties and late nineties. I feel like it was done to excess, but like anything else, you know, once someone comes along with a a particular point of view, it it could potentially be good. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're hundred percent right. I think we got to the point of, they were making these kind of almost meta rom-coms aimed Mm -hmm. at guys with all the kind of like, gross out humour and stuff like that. And it sort of began to feel a bit unappealing after a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of the rom-com aspect, I did want to ask you about your leading ladies because, you know, I mean, Melvin's done well for himself because he has... He's done all right, hasn't he? Adriana King and Leanne Pinnock, who I I thought were both extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, really extraordinary talents, really beautiful people. And, um, you know, very lucky to have them both. Both went on different journeys for the film. Asia Naomi is a, you know very strong actress, you know, really went on a journey of faith and trust in a new director, which she said that, you know, after meeting me and having, she said this yesterday, after engaging in the conversation and my vision and my passion for it, that she felt very comfortable, which was great. And my secret source of Asia Naomi was, I didn't really, you know, I directed her in terms of trying things and maneuvered her, but I never really called action on my set. That was one of my rules to myself Mm -hmm. so that, it wouldn't jar my fellow actor, you know? So I'd have my first say action all the time, but right. so that I'm constantly in the scene with them when I am with them, then I go review, come back, suggest. Um, and I think they trusted me as well because I wrote the script. And when you're writing the script, it's coming from firsthand and it's, you can tell that it's, um, it's, it's a particular person's point of view. It's not, it's not, there's not, there's nothing really generic about boxing dates. It's really specific and specific because it is, does represent people I know, you know, my family. So, yeah. And Leanne was, was awesome. You know, she went on a real journey of, she had to learn to be an actor, you know, and she really, really learned because she had no idea, no clue. And for the answers to why I chose to go on that journey with her is because just who she is, I watched who she was in an interview and it was so striking. Um, 
about humanity and pathos and innocence to a certain degree that she has. It, it's like, it's, it's spellbinding for, um, for someone to exist like that to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'd, I'd never seen her act before, obviously. So um, I just knew her as a singer, but yeah. like, I think on in both fronts, I think she just blew out of the water Ooh. here. I think she's great. great. I mean, and the music as well. I mean, I'm very proud of the music because it's all of yeah. my musical tears. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> People will come to my you parties. You do run the gamut though. You've got everything from, I mean, my personal favorite is Aretha, obviously. So yeah. hearing Leanne sing her, amazing. But yeah. um but you have a bit of everything, something for everybody in there. Yeah, I, I wanted to create like a palette of like music that spun genres. And I kind of, I started with Chet Baker because it's such a classic, a, a classic piece of music. And it mm -hmm. settles the audience into, oh, this is the type of journey we're going to go on. Okay, this is, this person's going to dare to do that, you know? Um, and then, yeah, we jump around to a bit of Lover's Rock, a bit of Dancehall, a little bit of R&B. You know, you've got Anita Baker in there. You have Luther Vandroff at the end of the movie. You have Nancy Wilson, which was one of my, that's probably my favorite piece of music in the movie, you know. Was it, hold me close to you, say you love me too. Tonight, if you have it, uh, and it just goes into that big open number as I'm walking through the sea. I love it. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, that's awesome. And you didn't go for like too many obvious like Christmas numbers. It wasn't mm -hmm. the wall-to-wall -wall sort of Michael Boo play or something. Well, I don't think there was any Christmas numbers. There's there no. a couple of Christmas numbers in the background. Because, you know, the film, it's a Christmas movie, but it's not on Christmas Day. It's Boxing Day, which I wanted it to have its own individual feel to it, you know? So tell me as well about, you know, did you shoot this in COVID? Am I right in saying you, you were kind oh, yeah. of shooting under the toughest conditions possible? Basically? Yeah, I mean, my debut was made in circumstances that I don't know any different because I was so enthusiastic. But I know I know a difference now that I'm back on set normal as an actor. I'm doing like a, a movie in a TV show. I'm like, oh, wow, mate, you, you really put on your blinkers because the restrictions were crazy. The speaking was crazy. There was no structure yet. Uh, people were going down left, right, and center. Shopping malls were closing. Locations were getting locked off. It was bananas. It was definitely bananas. Uh, but we got there. You got there, and you got there with like this incredible cat. I haven't even asked about Marianne Jean Baptiste either, because you know, yeah. if you can get her to play your mum, my God, Marianne and me, she's become like a naughty mum figure. She's very, very uh, fun <laughs> and, and naughty, like the character. Like that character is totally her interpretation of 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 how she wanted Shirley. Uh, to be, which was like playful and full of banter. And I'm so glad that the British audience get to see, you know, a thespian that people love in such a charismatic role. And that's her. She's just very, very charismatic and uh, people love her in it. You took her name and several other character names from your own family. Now, funny enough, I was talking to another author about this the other the, the other day, and, and she said you can you can take things from real people as long as you say they're incredibly good looking in your script as well. I mean, is that is that your experience that they were okay with you? My using family names? happened to be an incredibly good looking family. Amazing. I mean, can you not see me? Can you not see what I sprung from? I can see you. Um, I just don't know them all well. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, um, I didn't know that that was the case. Um, so. I did. It's a very, very, very good thing to do. And I'll be taking that into the future. You know, actually, my yeah. Uncle Billy, who's uh, Uncle Billy's like, you know, a bit of a cockney. And he's like, you know, the one that dances with Asia when he's not meant to be, which was funny. My real life Uncle Billy was like, just make me look good, baby. Just make me look good. 
And I was like, all right, I'm cool, I got you. Just make, just make, put me on a, give me a Rolex. Just make me look good. And that was it, you know, so. <laughs> that's it. So you can take from real life as long as you make them look good. That, that's a, look that's good. a good rule of thumb, I suppose. Um, I have a couple of questions to, to finish up uh, off with. One that I ask everybody that I'll finish up with, but, but I also wanted to ask I me, mean, you've talked a lot about the, the importance of having like a specific Christmas film for British black audiences that we have not seen this before. And, and it feels like we're beginning to kind of diversify who gets to have films made about them, like in general, but also mm. in, in Christmas movies in specific. I'm thinking of things like Love Hard this year, Jingle Jangle last mm. year, mm. Um, Single All the Way. You know, mm. it feels like finally we're beginning to acknowledge that, you know, straight white cis male is not a human default setting and that there are other people in the world as well it is when you go on sims you go on sims it's a default setting yeah me and you are secondary we're secondary trust me um yeah i mean honestly it's yes it's the first all black cast uh you know i happen to be a black man british caribbean african in, in part so you know i'm writing from that experience and i'm not shying away from the monumental moment it is in terms of shifting the narrative. But I would like to say, and I think quite importantly, that it's a British film, you know? In the same way I can watch Love Actually and Notting Hill and really embrace it and not, the race component doesn't, it just doesn't, didn't come into my head when connecting with the characters. And I think, I think ultimately the majority of British uh, viewers will feel the same way about this film, hopefully, that, it's a British film first, and that's something to be proud of. And it just adds a paintbrush to who we are as British people. You yeah. know, Hugh and all of those lovely people, they're British, and Marianne's yeah. British. And actually, yeah. Marianne and Hugh, in my opinion, are of the same standing, right? So you could put them in a the film, you wouldn't blink an eye because they're just great actors. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent. I think. I think it is something. You know, something you you you've talked about in your interviews. The fact that you just identify with you know the white British actors or the white actors or whoever it is on screen. You know, I've I've been the same. I I identify with the men because those are the people who are leading the films. Those are the people who are having stories happen to them. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to learn. Everybody else has to learn that pretty pretty quickly. I feel like, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully that's going to become a bigger and a better thing as more and more of these films get made. So yeah, I, I thought that was fantastic. But I do, I am going to finish up by asking about Christmas traditions in your house or maybe Boxing Day traditions, I guess, for your family. Like what are the foods you eat? What do you have particular rules on when you get to open presents? Like what? how does it go down mm-hmm. in your house? What happens in my house is the day before, probably like Christmas day, night, day, night, or Boxing Day morning, everyone calls up. My mom and goes, we have, are we having the party? Are we having the party? Are we having the party? And she's like, Yes, we'll have the party. Everybody comes around about five, six o'clock. She goes, bring food. And this year, I'm not cleaning up and I'm not cooking for anyone. She usually ends up doing all of that sort of stuff. So that's the big tradition. It's like everybody comes, brings around the Christmas leftover food, uh, brings around loads of alcohol. Oh, speakers and my cousin Liam and or my uncle Emsley are key things because they DJ and we really have, we set the life on fire. I mean, God bless my neighbors uh, at my mum's house because they've been dealing with our parties for the last 15 years and they've, you know, they've always been gracious even when it goes until stupid o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, hope they uh, are, remain gracious again this year. It sounds like a, it sounds like a whale of a time. Uh, Amal, thank you so much. Thank and you. Best of luck with Boxing Day and the premiere tonight. Thank you very much.
Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>